Praise God. I'm so excited to be with you tonight. My name is Karen Waldhart. I'm the pastor of women's ministry here. Love, love, love what God has me doing. I love to bring the word. I believe God has equipped me to to share the passion that I have for my love for God and for what he wants to give to us, his passion for you. And we're going to be talking in here tonight a title of Be Still and Know. I want to start with a story that's so old it might be new. I heard this story years and years ago when my husband and I first got involved in what was charismatic, full gospel. Uh, God called us out of a denominational church. I love the denominations. I do, I do. God is everywhere, amen. But he called us out. And at that time, we began to really dig into the Word, and I heard this story, and it really impacted me so that here we are, 30-some years later, I'm still talking about this story, and I hope it impacts you. The story is told of a young married couple who desired to immigrate to America around the turn of the century in hopes of finding a better life in the land of opportunity. Severe blight and famine had resulted in living in extreme poverty. They sold everything they owned, scraped together the monies they could to purchase two one-way tickets to America on an ocean liner, which at that time was the main mode of transportation. The couple calculated that the ocean crossing would take approximately 14 days, and with the little money they had left, they bought enough cheese and crackers to last the entire voyage, believing that this would be enough to satisfy them for the length of the trip. So with just a few pieces of clothing and their meager food supply, the young couple boarded the ocean liner along with hundreds of passengers heading toward their destiny of a better life in America. After all, they were willing to do whatever it took to reach their personal promised land. For the first few days of the trip, the couple was content. They ate their cheese and cracker meals. Cheese and crackers for breakfast cheese and crackers for lunch, and cheese and crackers again for dinner. All the while, they witnessed the ship's waiters carrying large platters of delicious foods into the ornate dining hall where hundreds of passengers were enjoying gourmet feasts three times a day. Though they longed for the chance to sit in the beautiful dining room and enjoy the delicious foods passing them by, the couple agreed that the sacrifice was worth it for the promise of a better life that lay ahead. But the smell of the elegant food was intoxicating, and the young couple reluctantly agreed that since they could not afford to eat in the ship's dining halls, they would learn to be content with what they had. More cheese and crackers, please. After all, cheese and crackers were all they could afford. Day in and day out, the couple ate the same cheese and cracker meals, trying to be content with their lot, but growing more and more tired of this mundane meal. On the final day of the voyage, they could endure it no longer. The couple pleaded with a porter and said, please, please, we'll clear tables, we'll mop the floor, we'll wash dishes, we'll do anything if only you will allow us to eat one meal of this delicious food you've been serving in the dining hall. 
Now the porter scratched his head and looked at the desperate young couple with puzzled amazement and asked, didn't you each purchase a ticket for the voyage? Why, all the meals were already included in the price of the ticket. Are we experiencing a cheese and cracker existence with God? When Jesus paid so great a price for us to enjoy all the benefits, we could say all of his promises, are we only settling for a cheese and cracker meal when all along God has already provided everything that we need. And we find this in 2 Peter 1, 3. Everything, everybody say everything. Everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by his divine power. For all this was lavished on us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by name and invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. I think the key words are obvious here. It's already been deposited. It is included. All of God's promises, all of God's blessings is included in the price of the ticket. And the ticket was bought and paid for through the blood of Jesus. Amen. And so we need, and this is like the passion of my heart. It almost seems like a lot of my messages always come back to this. Let's not live far below what Jesus paid so great a price with his life, through his blood, for all of us to enjoy. He's already paid it. Because everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited. It's already done. And I love that God is not a stingy God, right? Because he says he lavishes that on us. And it's because of his goodness. Even Psalm 103 verse 2 says, and don't forget all of his benefits. I think God is trying to get more to us. We can, we can get like the couple in the story, just learn to be content, good enough, tolerate things in our life that perhaps we, what we really need to do is look into the Word of God and say, am I really supposed to deal with this anxiety all my life? Do I have to put up with sickness? Do I have to just say, oh, that's good enough? That's not what I'm seeing in the Word. I'm seeing that there's been a full ticket paid. And I want to encourage you today, let's not live so far below what Jesus has already deposited for us. I'm sure many of you know this parable. Jesus was a great storyteller, wasn't he? And he told the story about the sower who sows the seed, right? And it's a farm story. It's the way they uh, planted in those days. And it's most often called the sower sows the seed. But when I read it, what jumps out at me, what impresses me, is that we're talking a lot about the soil. And I kind of like to call it the story of the conditions of the soil. Because as Jesus explained to his disciples, the seed is what? The Word of God, right? 
Now let's find out what that seed actually contains by looking at Hebrews 4.12 in the Amplified Classic Version. And it says, for the Word of God, which is the seed, right? What God speaks is alive, full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, which is your soul, and a mortal spirit, and of joints and marrow of the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. When I read that, I say, wow, what a seed. And that is the seed, of course, that we find in this parable that Jesus was telling at this time. Now, I'm sure you're familiar. There was nothing wrong with the seed, right? It's the same seed that gets sown in different soils. Try saying that three times fast. But the seed has the potential to bring a hundredfold return. But even in the best soil, it says that some bring a 30-fold and some bring a 60-fold return. Not everybody gets a 100-fold return. That used to make me kind of mad. So wait a minute, wait a minute. We've got the hard soil, we've got the shallow soil, and we get to the really good soil. And why isn't there always a 100-fold return? I believe that's God's best, and I believe that's God's will. But maybe our soil needs a little deeper tilling. Maybe there's a few rocks in the soil that still need to be um, kind of cleared out. But we know this. The seed has the potential. And everything we need to have a hundredfold return is present in the seed or the word of God. But what I see in this parable is that the condition of our heart, which is the soil determines the harvest of the seed when the Word of God is planted there. I'm sowing tonight, all right? I'm throwing seed at you. I'm throwing the Word of God at you. Now, what you're going to need to do is just plow up your heart and receive that seed and let it go in deep. Because when we allow the Word of God to take root, it will bear fruit. So the condition of our heart determines the harvest. And if there's no seed planted, there's no harvest. But you're here. So thank you and praise God. <laughs> so, but our heart condition is the key. And the heart and condition of our heart is so, so very important. And let's look at Proverbs 4.23, which says, So above all... Okay, that elevates the value and the priority of it right away, right? So above all, it says, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pretty important stuff, isn't it? Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellsprings of life. Wow. The condition of our heart is so vital and so important, and it determines 
the harvest when the seed is planted there. So I would like to focus on one of those types of soil that we find in this story called, uh, in Mark 4, 18 and 19. And I'd like to focus on the seed that fell, the Bible says, among thorns. And it goes something like this. And the ones sown among the thorns are others who hear the word, then the cares and anxieties of the world and distractions of the age and the pleasure and delight and false glamour, that's interesting, and deceitfulness of riches and the craving and passionate desire for other things creep in and choke and suffocate the word and it becomes fruitless. When I reread that, I went, fruitless? Even when a seed is planted, when we hear the word of God, it might not bear fruit in this condition, in this soil. And if we weed out some of those words, it looks to me like the weeds that choked out the word of God because remember, there's nothing wrong with the seed, is there? It's active, operative. It has everything for each one of us to see a 30, 60, 100-fold return. But it's this, in this case, it says anxieties, distractions, pleasures, delights, false glamour, riches, cravings, desire for other things other than God are the very things that the Bible calls cares of this world, or I want to call the weeds in the garden of our heart. See, the cares of the world are what choke it out. The, the seed would have grown to its full maturity had it not been for these weeds, the cares of the world. And I believe it could possibly reduce us to a cheese and cracker existence with God because of the cares of the world. They are the weeds in the garden that crowd out the plants that should produce fruit because there's nothing, again, wrong with the seed. I love to plant flowers. Um, we moved into a very old house, and at the time, it was so overgrown, we began ripping out bushes and trees and so on, and there were no flower gardens. Everything had just kind of been... Uh, overgrown and neglected for years. So I began to create flower gardens. And that was really fun, but now what I have found after, what have we been there, 36 years, every year I have to weed those flower gardens. So I set myself up for as long as we lived there, a job every year, especially when I wanted to get the soil ready for the planting. And it probably takes me about 10, 12 hours to go to every, my, all of my created planting areas and get them all ready for the planting. And I have to take a shovel every year, and I have to dig it deep, turn it over. There's rocks. Sometimes there's even glass. It's just an old house. Lots of things happen probably over 100 years here. And I have to throw out the, the rocks and the weeds and when everything is smooth and the, the soil is soft, I plant those flowers. I plant them all in a row. And I just get in such a delight out of doing that. And I look in and I go, oh, I just feel so good. I think I love to make things grow. And I think I love to help people grow too. But 
here we are, got them all underground and things looking good. And we go on vacation. And in just two weeks, just two weeks, I come home and the weeds are taller than the flowers. That's not fair. I want to ask God why he did that. Why do weeds grow faster than my flowers? I don't understand. But if I don't weed the flower, or the, don't weed the flowers, weed the weeds, pull the weeds out of my flower beds, pretty soon when those roots of the weeds go, go deep and begin to grow and grow and grow, they will choke out my flowers. So I'm in there pulling out the weeds, pulling out the weeds, another 10, 12 hours just pulling out the weeds if I really want to see the flowers flourish. Because when left to the natural course of the weeds, the roots will begin to take up more real estate in the dirt and crowd out the roots of the good plants. So it is with the garden of our hearts. We need to take the shovel of God's word and allow it to dig deep into our hearts. Turn over the hardened ground. Break it up. Get the weeds out. Get the rocks out. The rocks could be anything from unforgiveness or unbelief or holding a grudge or not trusting God or maybe being angry or disappointments. Allow God's work to break up the fallow ground and help your heart to be soft, fertile ground again. Because we don't want to see the result found in Mark 4. We want the Word of God to bear fruit in our lives. Amen. So the cares of the world are the weeds that we allow in our hearts that begin to take up more real estate in your heart, in your mind, in your emotions. And again, we have to guard the affections of our hearts. Guard your heart against the world's weeds. You know, there's a scripture that says, um, oh good, I didn't write it down. It says, don't allow an offense. Let it, in, in one scripture, in one version, it says, let it roll off your back. Do you know, offenses build fences. It will isolate you when we hold an offense against another person. Can I just say they're not worth it? They're not worth it. And it's a weed in your garden that might need to be pulled out. But you're the only one that can do that. Say, this isn't worth it, God. You know what? Sometimes we just have to choose to forgive. Sometimes other people grow up at our expense. And guess what? I've probably done the same. But if we can extend grace and mercy and choose to forgive, choose to not hold that grudge, choose to not be offended when they were offensive, live above that, God will help you do that. Because that's a weed in your garden that you cannot afford. We don't want that one to bear fruit, right? God will show you how to break that so we don't live controlled by that. That's part of guarding our heart, isn't it? We need to stay connected to our life source, and your heart will line up with God's affections. And maybe another way of saying that is we need to care more about the things that God cares about than the things that the world cares about. John 15, 5 says, 
Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever lives in me and I in him bears much abundant fruit. Isn't that what we're talking about? We don't want to be fruitless. We're planting good seed. Keep the garden of your heart well weeded, that uh, fallow ground broken up. Don't let the weeds grow up. And it says, if you will stay in him, you will bear abundant fruit. However, apart from me, if you're cut off from vital union with me, you can do nothing. I think that might be another way of saying you will be fruitless. But you were created to bear fruit. In fact, already deposited in you. Remember our scripture in 1 Peter 1, 3? You've already got everything deposited in you that you need to live this life victoriously in the goodness of God, in the favor of God, the blessings and promises of God. They're already deposited in you. But we have to stay connected to our life source. Amen. So we want... At, sometimes I think we just need a checkup from the neck up and a little bit of uh, inventory in my heart and say, God, is there anything in me that you want to weed out of me? Let him be the master gardener of your heart and just open up and allow him to do that. Allow him to have final authority in your thinking, your values, your decisions, your behavior, your emotions, and your life. But I like to kind of call this Benefit blockers to fruit bearing, all right? There's some of these things. One of the things named in First Peter was there's distractions in our life. Is that not true? Can I just read a list of some distractions? Now, let me just say I'm not condemning anybody who does any one of these things. But sometimes we allow it to control maybe steal time that should be better spent. Um, you know, everything the Bible says in moderation. So what about these? TV, Internet, Facebook, YouTube, WhatsApp, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, Reddit, Pinterest, News, Entertainment, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Amazon, online shopping, greed, lust, selfishness, overindulgence, materialism, laziness, entitlement, pride, power, and influence, to name just a few. Would you agree there are many, many things in our world, in our culture? They're out there. How are we going to allow them to influence us? There's potential for good as well as allowing it to be time stealers. You start comparing your life with somebody else. You say, why, is it my, why am I not going on vacation? Why is she so happy? You know, why does he look like that? But there's where we have to guard our heart with all diligence. Keep the weeds of the world out of the garden of your heart. I think there's something else that we need to talk about, and that's this. We live in a noisy world, a noisy world. And we need to keep the voices speaking to us. We need to have some discernment because we will limit what God is able to do in our lives when we are more in tune with the noise of the world than we are in tune with the voice of God. I would like to share this verse with you. And it took all this time to get down to our key verse. How about that? Here's, a, here's the title of the whole message right here. And it's very simple. How do we keep the world out of the garden of our hearts? How do we combat the noise of the world? Psalm 46.10 tells us this. Be still 
and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Because we live in this fast-paced, busy, busy. In fact, if you're not busy, you might be considered lazy. And that should not be, right? We need to have some pause in our lives. We don't need to fill every single minute with just busyness for the sake of being busy. The Bible says we need sometimes of simply being still. Now, that could be in a physical way, but I want to encourage you, I think even more than that, it's an inner stillness, an inner calm. Because even when the storms of life are raging around you, I believe and I know that the Prince of Peace can calm you and bring you to that still, quiet place. So we don't join with the noise of the raging storm. We have the peace of God on the inside. So not just a physical stillness, because when we're quiet on the inside, I believe it is then when we hear the voice of God. And let me explain. If we don't quiet the noise of the world around us, we may miss the voice of God. In 1 King 19, 11 to 12, Jesus, or God, is speaking. He said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, this is my favorite part, a still, small voice. Sometimes I think we wish God was shouting at us to get our attention. But sometimes I think our lives are so noisy, our hearts are in such turmoil, and there's been so much chaos, and we're focusing on all the things happening on the inside and the outside that we might be missing the still small voice of God. And then we start asking questions like, God, where are you? Why aren't you hearing me? Do something. We look for God to move in big ways like earthquakes and windstorms, like a raging fire. But remember, God wasn't shouting. He spoke in a still small voice. So I want to encourage you be still so you can hear the still, small voice of God. See, I believe he's always speaking. I'm not sure we're always hearing or listening. Or maybe you think, I can't hear God. How do you hear God? And I just want to say, it's in the quiet place of your soul that you can hear the whisper of God. Don't discount and dismiss the simple and the quiet because God is probably not shouting, but I believe he's speaking, and I believe you can hear. And that's because I see that written in John 10, 27. And Jesus again is speaking, and he said, I'm the good shepherd. He's using another wonderful um, story 
to explain the relationship here. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The sheep that are my own hear my voice and listen to me. I know them and they follow me. Do you know it's told that, um, especially back in the day, that all the shepherds at the end of the day would bring their sheep and put them in a community pen in a town. And I believe this probably still is uh, happening in some of the more remote uh, places in the world. But they would mix all the sheep together. They'd all be in the same pen. And in the morning, all the shepherd had to do was begin to speak or to call a name. And the sheep that belonged to the flock of that particular shepherd would all line up and follow their shepherd. And they knew who their shepherd was. They knew his voice. We are his sheep. The Bible says you know his voice. And you, it doesn't say you, you will or you can hear his voice. It says you, you will hear his voice. You do hear him. So the question is not, why isn't God talking to me? The question is, why aren't we listening? And I just want to encourage you, practice listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit. I think oftentimes it's an unction. It's a kind of a knowing. It's kind of a download. But you can easily miss it if you're not listening. And it might even seem like just a passing thought. And maybe a fair question is, was that me or was that you, God? Right? Anybody ever ask that? Everybody wonder that? Oh, just me. Okay. So I want to tell you, uh, recently I spent some time with a young lady, and she just was very depressed and very sad. And she began to tell me that she was just feeling like everywhere she went, she was being rejected. Everywhere she went, people were mean to her. And I looked at her husband like, what? He said, it's true. <laughs> it's true. I said, what? People are rude to you all the time? She goes, yes. I just feel like they just don't think that I uh, have any value or worth. And you know how, okay, you don't have to raise your hand, but sometimes when I'm listening to people talk, I have to really focus that I'm not thinking, what am I going to say next? What am I going to say next? So that I'm not really listening, okay? So this time I went, shh. And I was really listening to her. I did not have an answer. I had no, nothing that I felt I could share with her except that I felt such compassion for her. And I just said, okay, Holy Spirit, this one's on you. I don't know what to do. And I heard him say, very quietly, ask her if she's ever heard of an orphan spirit. And immediately she reacted to that. And without telling more details than we need to talk about, there was real deliverance that day. Because an orphan spirit is a demonic spirit that attaches to a person who cannot seem to find, they, they have experienced such deep disappointment and rejection that they cannot and do not have the ability to receive love from God or to give love to others. And it torments and, and tortures people in this constant spirit of rejection. And she got free that day. And afterwards, I was praising God and thanking God. And then I kind of, kind of stopped for a moment. And I went, wow, Lord, I could have missed that. 
I kind of thought, oh, is that me? Is that you? I had to dare to take a chance that that was God. And kind of to me it was more obvious because I would not have thought of that. But I had been studying and praying, and God had been teaching me about that. And then I had this moment where he said, this is it. This is, this is why. This is her deliverance. And all you have to say is, have you ever heard of an orphan spirit? And God did the rest. But how easy it would have been for me to miss that still, small voice. But we need to meditate on the Word of God to keep our heart free from the weeds of the world. I want to reread. I'm going to skip over here a little bit. Well, let's say this. Meditating on the Word is like mulling it over and remembering the Word when you're in the middle of the storm. Right? Because God promises this. He'll never leave you. You can call on his name. He will answer his sheep. Hear his voice. Oh, God, I'm, I'm listening. I believe I hear your voice. I believe that you give me all wisdom that you're pouring out. You don't even hold it back. If I need wisdom, you said, just ask, and I will give it to you. And know the comfort of his presence and the strength and knowing his love. That's being still and knowing your God, isn't it? And sometimes we think, well, I'm anxious and I'm worrying and especially when we feel like there's nothing for us that we are able to do, that we get feeling trapped. But worry is meditation in a negative form. We don't want that kind of worry. We want to meditate and mull over and, and receive the truth from the Word of God. In 2 Corinthians 10.5 it says, We refute arguments and theories and reasonings and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we lead every thought and purpose away captive into the obedience of Christ. My first full-time job was a bank teller. And in the training, they taught us how to spot a counterfeit bill. And what they told us to do is if it felt kind of funny, kind of like funny money, right? He said you can hold that bill up to a light. And if you see the watermark, that means it's real. If there's no watermark on it, it's kind of a hidden thing. It's probably a counterfeit or a fake, which means it's illegal and someone needs to be arrested. But I see in 2 Corinthians 10, 5 that what we are to do is to take every thought captive. You hold that thought up to the light of God's word to see if it bears the watermark of truth. And if, it's, if it does not, if it does not line up with the word of God, it's a counterfeit of worry and anxiety and unbelief. And if it's a counterfeit and it does not line up with God's word, it's illegal. And you need to arrest it and throw it in the jailhouse of lies from the pit of hell. That's taking every thought captive. There's nothing too difficult for my God. When I hear the lies that I've been believing, now we have to counter it with the truth. I say, my worry can't solve my problems. They're too heavy for me to bear anyway. So God, here I am. I'm casting my care upon you. 
the one who loves me. You promises, your promises will see me through, and you are faithful, faithful, and you will never abandon me or leave me to my own. The opposite of anxiety is peace, and we're talking about the stillness, the stillness. One of my favorite word seeds, like I'm in the middle of the night and my mind just doesn't stop and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I might be worrying, I might have anxiety. The one that I go to is, you will guard me and keep me in perfect and constant peace whose mind, both its inclination and its character, is stayed on you. Another way of saying that is stuck on God. Because he commits myself to you, I lean on you, and I hope confidently in you. And it really works because all that anxiety and everything that was churning and turning on the inside of me, when I receive that, get stuck on him and not stuck in the rut of worry and the what ifs and what could have happened, I sense his peace. Because the Word of God works, doesn't it? It works not because of psychology. It works not because of physiology. It works because it's good theology. And it's the truth. And the truth will bring freedom. Because remember, the Word of God, the seed planted in my heart, it's alive, it's powerful able to pierce to the deepest part of my innermost being and bring life there. If I'll plant the seed, I'll see that harvest. This might be stating the obvious. We're going to wrap this up. If you're not in perfect peace, your mind does not stay on the Lord. Not rocket science, right? We just turned it around a little bit. So if you find that you're dealing with these uh, conflicting feelings and worry and worry and worry, you're meditating on the wrong things, meditate on the Word of God, plant a new seed, and find His perfect peace there. We're so thankful that the Word of God is alive. It is what we need to plant the seed in our hearts. One more thing as I close. I'm going to reread Psalm 46.10 in the Passion Translation. Remember, this is that simple, be still and know that I am God. It says, surrender your anxiety. Be still and realize that I am God. And even in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible, it says, let go of your anxiety. And it, it reads, relax. And that's what happens when we let it go, but fill that void with the promises of God. We're going to surrender our anxiety and learn to let it go. Can we just pray? Father God, you said in your word, that we can let go of anxiety. We don't want our hearts to be overrun with the weeds and distractions of the world, with the worry and anxiety. And right now, I believe the Holy Spirit has been speaking. Is there something 
you need to let go of? Is there a weed in your heart that needs to be pulled out from the roots? It might be an offense, a hurt, something that should not have happened to you, something unfair or unjust. But God is saying, would you let me heal that place? Would you let me pull that weed so that your heart can begin to bear more fruit? Rise above that offense. Let it roll off and be a thing of the past so it no longer affects your present and will affect your future. So let's take the shovel of God's word and turn over the hardened places in our hearts. We don't want, we don't want fallow ground, Lord, in our hearts. So we choose to forgive even when the person is not deserving because we know, Lord, we've never been deserving of your forgiveness and yet you love us still and you forgive us completely. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for tilling us with your word today. Thank you for planting something in our hearts that can truly take root. And I believe and I pray and I speak over you that you're not going to just have a 30-fold return, but it will be greater and greater as, that, uh, as the soil of your heart just stays soft and ready for the planting. Water it well with the word of God. Let him nurture it. And I believe you'll begin to see and bear beautiful fruit. And while heads are bowed, I want to give you an opportunity, maybe twofold. If you have never asked Jesus to come into your heart, to surrender your life to him, you've come to that place where you say, wow, I really need something to change in my life. And you know that something is a really a someone, and it's Jesus. Know the goodness of God. That Know the tug on your heart is the Holy Spirit. And it's a good, wonderful thing that he's inviting you into to live life fully empowered by Jesus Christ himself and to begin to partake of everything that he paid so great a price for you to enjoy. There's healing there. There's strength there. There's forgiveness of sins. And he's wooing and loving on you. And if you're online, I'm speaking to you. If that's you, let's just pray this prayer all together. And when you say it from your heart, you are going to pass from death to life, from darkness to light. And one of the most amazing things is we live our life filled with Jesus himself, and then we get to live our forever lives with him in heaven someday. So let's just say this all together. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins, all of my past, and all of my present. 
I give to you. And thank you that you hold my future in your hands. And I receive you now as my Lord and Savior. I want to live for you. Thank you that my heart is now filled with your presence. And I thank you that I am on my way to heaven. I'm going to live for you, empowered by your Holy Spirit. And I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And one more prayer. If ever you have wondered, how can I be sure that I'm going to die and go to heaven? We all sure we're going to die. But if, if I were to die tonight, I'm just not sure. Am I supposed to be sure? I think I might. Or maybe I'll find out when I take my last breath. And I want you to know you can have the full assurance do not worry anymore. I just feel like somebody needs to know. Sleep well at night knowing that you are saved. God has purchased you. You do not have to wonder anymore. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would bear witness in their hearts that they are children of yours, that they belong to you, and they are on their way to heaven. And I thank you, Lord, that that is a work of your Holy Spirit and will doubt no more in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Can we just give praise to God tonight for especially those who, who may have made that decision for the first time? And I would love to just...